Bringing the world to you. The Corona Diaries. Activate countdown. Sour for things to just be normal again. Yes, I'm My diary is Corona. All stories behind Damn. Welcome to episode two of the Corona Diaries podcast. In our previous episode, Tsepiso shared stories filed by our field reporters from across the country, from Dipsu to Hrafrenet. This week, I will be sharing more stories from the field with you. In case you missed it, the Corona Diaries podcast tells stories of as experienced by a group of Rose University students about life in the time of COVID-19. They are now scattered across the country and continent following President Cyril Ramaphosa's declaration of a national state of disaster in March 2020. When this shocking announcement was made, they left their campus in a scurry and with much anxiety and uncertainty as to why they, when they would be allowed to return. They find themselves studying journalism online from wherever it is that they went into lockdown. And as a part of this learning, they are sending stories back to campus. Uniquely told by the students, these stories intertwine to show the shared story of life amid this pandemic. I am Rayleigh Seymour Brown, currently based in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal, and I will be giving you a glimpse into the joys and sorrows of daily existence in the homes and communities of our storytellers. In this week's episode, we look at learners going back to school, some fun cartoon conspiracies, and a vote of thanks to those on the front lines against the fight of COVID-19. Remember, you can send your tweets to at Rose underscore JMS using the hashtag Corona Diaries. Living in a traditional conservative home as a teen and young adult may be frustrating as a member of the LGBTI plus community. Before the lockdown restrictions, many young LGBTI plus individuals enjoyed the liberties of not having to conform to certain heteronormative ideals at home. Cristela Lunga shares the story of a Stellenbosch student and how their sexuality alters their experience during this pandemic. While we adjust to the new lifestyle the coronavirus outbreak has provided, some things need to continue. President Cyril Ramaphosa declared that grade 12 and grade 7 learners should return back to school as they reopen on the 1st of June. While this is not compulsory, some teachers and students are preparing themselves to return to a somewhat altered reality of what they used to call school. I interviewed multiple grade 12 learners and teachers about their return to school from the Western Cape currently the province with the highest infection rates of coronavirus cases in South Africa. My name is Jade Barry and I'm in grade 12. My name is Liesel Janssen van Rensburg and I'm in Matrik. I'm Anke Sander. My name is Leighton Smith. I am in grade 12. I feel nervous, excited, scared, happy about going back to school. Ek voel verlig om terug te gaan school te. Ek voel bly om terug school toe te gaan. Die goeie smang hulle sjoemie, die hoeie ook boeie hulle skolwe nie, en die tembe ook goed is nie so boeie, so baar raad kan boeie. I don't feel it's necessary for me to risk my life just to finish school. I have two sisters at home, where's Ejma, 
And if I come home with the virus, both of them could die. As learners are experiencing mixed emotions about returning to school, teachers are preparing for their return despite the challenging circumstances. Hi, Mrs. Van der Merwen. I'm a math teacher at Oudson High. How do I feel about returning to school? Terrified, not because I'm scared of a virus, but for the safety of my own three school children staying at home, trying to do their homeschooling without me while I'm working at school. Our school has been cleaned. We received all the necessary PPEs and cleaning products. We had numerous meetings every day to plan the safe return of our grade 12 pupils. We had lectures about how to sanitize the classrooms, how to practice social distancing, how to screen the learners every morning, etc. We also planned what we will do in the next, uh, the first two weeks of the grade 12s. Monthly revision, uh, we will have longer lessons in order to help the grade 12s. I think every child is anxious to return to school because they don't know what to expect. They don't know how long this virus will be remaining in the background. I also think every child is worried that they may fall behind or if they did work hard during the lockdown, that they will not be able to cope with new abnormal circumstances in school. I'm worried that I may contaminate my own family, my colleagues, my class pupils, but I also know we can't hide from it forever. We have to start somewhere. With the availability of technology, Schools have learned to put new systems in place. This is Mrs. Lauraman from Otsun High. I'm the design teacher there. Technology is my first love. To learn new methods of teaching and communication is very exciting. I've created a Discord server for our school and all our schoolwork were loaded up there. Together with what WhatsApp groups, we survived. I've been at school as an SMT member since last week, Monday, the 18th. Together with my son, we wrote a computer program to use with the screening process to fasten up the whole exercise of admission of learners according to the COVID-19 policy of the school. We also compiled our own COVID-19 policy um, from the WCED. It's time now. It's time to start working again with them. And online teaching can never, never replace that personal touch. It is clear that teachers, staff members and learners are bravely determined to finish the grade 12's last year of school. My name is Amy Adams. I am in grade 12. My name is Angelica. Akashantau Roots. My name is Lehman van Hansen. I am in grade 12. I am Guilherme. My name is Sieger Rondhanger. I feel scared, worried and excited about going back to school. Going to school is quite risky. I feel bang to school to go. I feel sad about going back to school. I feel very excited about going back to school to go because I miss my friends and I want to go with my work. I want to go to school for tennising and playing. I'm Selena Fari reporting from the Western Cape. Take care and stay safe. Our stories behind the masks. A podcast you can listen to at home. It's like way too straight to the point. Yeah, stay at home and listen to a podcast. Life in quarantine. The lockdown edition. Our stories behind the masks. 
Good morning. South Africa is struggling to adapt to some of the toughest restrictions in the world as it enters day two of its 21-day lockdown. Corona Diaries. Our, our stories behind. We often think that we as humans exist in isolation and that we have no connection or relation with those around us. We believe that the personal is universal and that our stories closely impact those around us and are similar to people that we might not even think to exist. Anatin Zevu tells the story of humility, Ubuntu and connectedness from her parental home in Port Elizabeth. Her story looks at how we think we live isolated from each other, but in reality, we are truly connected. Humility is a concept that is understood by many. Everyone understands what it means when people say that another hand washes another, people help each other, we are one. But sometimes that concept is taken for granted, especially when normal lives resume. But now we can see that it takes a pandemic for us to return to the core of Ubuntu. I've interviewed Unaledi Chue, Denzel Nyati, and Tutuka Kaza, and they gave us their insight on the statement that I just made. Here is what they had to say. I think it goes without saying that the diversity in the world is just countless. And firstly, we're all separated, for a lack of a better word, by our race, classes, religion, so forth. So it's inevitable that we will have our differences. But the one thing that we can all relate to is our emotions and death. A death is a common denominator that everyone has either experienced or witnessed. and one person changing the world or one person experiencing this pandemic um, has a personal and direct effect on everyone because all of our lives are um, affected or will be impacted in some way. You know, we all know that we're connected in life, you know, by the stream of life. But it's crazy how much Corona has revealed that it takes one bad cough one flight trip to show that you are really not alone as much as you may try to be in this world. At our core, we are human, designed for empathy and to be together. As much as grief, pain and sadness are easily shared, so are joy and strength. This is what makes us human, having neither to weigh words or thoughts or measure words but pouring them out, all right out, just as they are, chaff and clean together, certain that a faithful hand will take them and sift them. I think it is quite evident within the statements made about that it truly takes one person and if anything, this is the time for us to stand by each other, stick together, educate one another and truly practice being safe, staying at home because it does take one person but within all of that, do not forget Ubuntu. 
teens and young adults coming from conservative homes who belong to the LGBTQI plus community were given a sense of freedom from the pressures of conforming and enduring certain heteronormative ideals when lockdown regulations did not restrict their mobility. Christelle Lunga shares the story of one person and how their sexuality alters their experience during this pandemic. The difference which this lockdown meant for the education of young adults and teenagers was undeniable. And saying that this change has not added to the psychological pressures which this pandemic has placed on these individuals would be nothing short of naive. Second year Stellenbosch student Ulmanko Pote has admitted to feeling these academic pressures a little more in a time like this. General anxiety that comes with being a student, but also added anxiety of the fact that now I need to factor in doing online school every single day, which is a completely different experience to doing face-to-face lectures at school. Not to mention the simple fact that I'm a more like interactive student, so I like to ask questions and get answers immediately, which is what I would get with face-to-face lectures. But I'm not getting that anymore, so it's making my anxiety higher. Although the pressures of the lockdown are felt by everyone, the pressures which LGBTQIA teens and young adults feel may be increased as a result of their non-gender binary and or heteronormative status. And Ulmanto makes mention of this. The LGBTQIA individuals that are currently in lockdown because of this coronavirus situation, I would say their experiences differ a lot from other cisgender heterosexual individuals because with heterosexual and cisgender individuals, they don't have to be conscious of who they are. They've always been who they are from birth. So they don't have to actively switch over part of themselves or repress a part of themselves to fit a certain standard because they are that standard. So you don't have to almost perform your masculinity. You don't have to perform your femininity. You are yourself 24-7. And I don't think people realize the taxing situation it is to have to repress a part of yourself when you know who you are and you love yourself for it. Although most LGBTQIA teens and young adults seem to be more affected during this pandemic, some LGBTQIA teens have been luckier than others, and this seems to be the experience of Nonjabulo Tuli, second-year journalism student at Rhodes. I don't think I have to change a lot about myself because the things that I would change before I came out is that I changed my... um, the things that I wear, I wouldn't wear them or I wouldn't wear them the same way that I would if I'm at school. So, yeah, I don't feel that I have to alter a lot about myself when I'm here at home. But whether you are feeling pressured because of the pandemic as a whole or the added pressures of your sexual orientation or gender identification, it is important to remember that the kindness we need the most comes from ourselves. So regardless of your situation, whether positive or negative, whether resulting from your sexuality or the mere inconvenience of our current situation, I am here to remind you that this is only temporary and to take it easy on yourself because to be kind is to be patient. So be patient with yourself and make the most out of the situation that we're finding ourselves currently in.
In the midst of what is happening in our ever-changing world, it is sometimes hard to see the good. Constantly being confronted with rising statistics of new infections and deaths, these numbers can weigh you down emotionally. But our reporters tried their best to bring you some good news. Have you ever in your adult life looked back and thought that the behaviors exhibited by characters in your favorite cartoons are somewhat odd? For example, it is said that characters from Winnie the Pooh represent different mental health disorders. These ranging from PTSD, ADHD to generalized anxiety disorder. But then again, I'm not qualified to make a diagnosis. Canisela Tlamini gives us insight into more of these conspiracies that will pick your brain. Hey, it's been lockdown. Let's be honest here. Yeah. This online learning thing is an issue. I confess, I spend more of my time streaming ungodly amounts of hours watching my favorite shows. As of recently, I've been streaming my favorite old cartoons. Because, well, they just don't make cartoons like they used to, you know? This brings me to the top three cartoon conspiracy theories I stumbled upon on the internet. Now, I must warn you though. Some of these conspiracy theories could have the potential of ruining your childhood. So I emphasize, you are listening to this at your own risk. Why my 10-year-old self envy Timmy Turner? I mean, imagine having very odd parents that could grant you almost any wish. I say almost because of that damn annoying purple rule book. So get this. The theory claims that Cosmo and Wanda are representations of antidepressants. In the first episode, where evil Vicky is hired as Timmy's new babysitter. They said Timmy's fairy godparents will be with him for as long as he needs them. He even got to keep his fairy godparents until the age of 50. Now he did this by wishing that everyone in Dibsdale does not age. To prevent him from losing his fairy godparents. Which shows how Timmy doesn't really get over his mental illness. In one of the episodes he overdoses on magic. Which could be a metaphor for overdosing on antidepressant pills. The anti-fairies in the show are a representation of illegal drugs. And the pixies are supposedly placebos due to their inability to before magic. Oh, and then there's the infamous Mr. Crocker. Very good parents! Which is said to be Timmy's therapist trying to get him off his meds. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain! I can't hear you! Now this conspiracy theory is my favorite, simply because it's the only one that has substantial proof to support it. The theory states that Bikini Bottom is situated in a nuclear test site. So apparently Bikini Bottom got its name because it's under Bikini Atoll, which is a coral reef in the Marshall Islands, which was used for nuclear testing from 1946 to 1958. This resulted in the creatures living in this area to mutate. This explains a lot of the weird things we see in Spongebob that don't make sense, which could be seen as an over-exaggeration of the nuclear effects. There's also a suggestion that rock bottom could be a crater which explains why the sea creatures that live there are even weirder and more mutated than the sea creatures of bikini bottom ah the it boys i love these goofballs growing up however i'm not going to lie this conspiracy theory really ruined my childhood so this conspiracy theory reveals the possibility that the kids living in the cul-de-sac are actually dead just to make things even more morbid the cul-de-sac is seen as a purgatory so the weird skin colors and the different color tongues suggest that the kids are actually corpses Caravan living cankers are sent by Satan himself to torment the kids of the cul-de-sac, more specifically the Eds, because they are the weakest, so the theory claims. Lastly, the kids have supposedly died over different time periods. Both are said to have died in the early 1900s. The son of a shepherd. Now this was during a time when commercial farming hadn't really been that popular yet. Then there's Johnny Boy with his buddy Plank, coming from the 1920s. <laughs> 
During this time, toys couldn't get much simpler than drawing a face on an inanimate object. Eddie is said to have come from the era of the Great Depression, hence his con artist tendencies. Jawbreaker! He's also labeled as a New Yorker who moved into the cul-de-sac, which would explain the city slicker vibe he's got going on. <laughs> These siblings originate from the post-World War II era, which would explain Ed's obsession with monster movies and comic books, as this was a time comic book culture really surfaced. Flower Child Naz is your typical 70s kid, using terms like cool, groovy, and dude, shy and awkward double D, came from a time of scientific ingenuity and when computers were becoming more affordable for even the average consumer. It was probably around the late 80s, early 90s, which would explain why he's so smart. Dorks. Kevin's your typical street punk kid from a broken home, which would explain his bullying tendencies. His obsession with his bike and wearing his hat backwards, totally a 90s kid. Jimmy's your millennial kid who had parents who sheltered him because of the year 2000 end of world scare. This would probably explain his frailness. Now that we've reached the end, I hope that this countdown has been nostalgic for you as much as it has for me. And remember, you're never too old to watch cartoons. We often take for granted the things people in workplaces do for us. We think because it is their job, they are therefore obliged to do whatever we, we request. We forget to say please and thank you and do not realize what difference those words and a friendly approach can do. Robin Johnson writes a moving letter to those essential workers that are on the front lines of making sure life goes on and those fighting the virus during these trying times. She and her family thanks you from her home in Pretoria. To the real heroes. It may not seem like much, but the gratitude of a thank you is all we can truly give back to you. There are not enough words capable of showing you how thankful we are for all the effort you have put in for your country. Our simple things hold so much weight. The weight of keeping our loved ones safe and healthy, providing us with a sense of security, keeping food in our homes and keeping our streets clean. Thank you to the people who are putting themselves on the line every single day. Thank you to the car guards and petrol attendants that bring some normalcy to a strange time. Thank you to the tellers who check our groceries and the delivery personnel who bring us takeaways. To the taxi drivers who are forever and always an integral part of South Africa's economic force. And the Uber drivers who sanitize every surface and still ask us how we're doing, even in these dark times. Thank you to the paramedics, doctors, nurses and medical staff who have put their lives on the line to save ours. Thank you to all maintenance workers and cleaning custodians who are needed and appreciated now more than ever. Thank you to the teachers who are putting so much time and effort into revolutionizing education for the sake of our children. Thank you to the parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles who have become homeschool tutors. Although you might not fall part of the acknowledged essential workers, you sacrifice your time in simple but meaningful ways for the sake of those around you. I cannot begin to imagine any of your jobs were ever easy but we all understand that it's even more difficult now. During these extremely insecure times, you have wholeheartedly put on a brave face for all of us. Your smiles and simple acts of kindness ease us every day, keeping us grounded in remnants of regularity. To our 2020 soldiers, thank you for blindly risking your lives and the lives of your loved ones for this country and its people. Unfortunately, our thanks can never be compared to the sacrifices you have made and the risks you have taken. But this thank you is all we can muster. But we appreciate everything you do, big and small. South Africa is forever grateful and thankful for what you do. Thank you for your patience. On behalf of those who are ungrateful and don't show kindness. We see you. We appreciate you. Thank you. 
These are just some of the stories about life in lockdown in South Africa, filed to Rhodes University from across the country by students in exile from their campus. Two weeks from now, at the end of June, we will be sharing the next episode of Corona Diaries, as told by Canisela Dlamini. Remember to follow at Rhodes underscore JMS on Twitter and Facebook to share and engage with our podcast using the hashtag Corona Diaries. Until then, happy Youth Month and happy Pride Month. Stay safe and remember to follow national health protocols to contain the spread of the virus. Story contributions for this episode of the Corona Diaries podcast were made by Selina Fari, Anasin Devu, Cristela Lunga, Canisela Tlamini, and Robin Johnson. Bringing the world to you. To you. The Corona Diaries. Our stories behind masks. Damn!